0: So happy holidays to everyone. Let's uh, jump in and pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal Jesus to us. We can't live without him. Jesus, we're made for you, we're made by you, we're made through you. Everything we are exists for you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and open our eyes to see Jesus. And I pray for our hearts that no matter where we are, God, as we think about the new year, Lord, I pray that you would come and give us hope, not based on our own plans, but based on who you are. And so I pray that you'd come intervene, and no matter where we're at in our hearts, God, I pray that you would come and you'd revive us, that we would see that Jesus is stronger. And our circumstances. God, I pray that you would sow the word into our hearts. God, that we would not um, be left alone, but that you'd come to us. God, that you would you'd give us a strength in your word. God, that the world could not choke out. So Lord, come and anoint us. Come and anoint me to preach and us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that will like to acknowledge my friend Vic here. He came and, uh, he's a good friend. I'll, I'll share our story towards the end of the sermon and his family back there. Welcome. Thanks for coming today. Um, Jeff gave me the, the topic really of the word and prayer. And really, automatically, my mind goes, so what does it look like to have a lifestyle of word and prayer? And it's easy to jump into, got to have this discipline, got to have that discipline, got to grow in my spiritual maturity, got to do all those things. But really, I think that a love for a lifestyle, for the word and prayer, comes out of a desperate need for Jesus and realizing Jesus' love for us. So um, and, and unless there's a motive, a passion for discovery... We're not naturally going to want to jump into the word and prayer. So I was asking the Lord about this. Like, man, I don't know where to begin. You know, I've got stories and stuff. And Psalm 51 is just something that comes at me every time. So a little background on Psalm 51. David had just committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he finds out, you know, he, he knows that she's married, right, to Uriah. Finds out she's pregnant. Brings Uriah back. It's like, hey, maybe you guys could get together so it would cover up the fact that I got her pregnant. That doesn't work because Uriah is too faithful. He's like, hey, man, the rest of my guys are at war. Like, I don't have time for this And so David's like, what am I going to do? So he sends Uriah to the front line. (laughs) Uriah gets killed, right? So David's in a predicament, and the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him. And this is basically David's prayer. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but this is what I want to key in on. Notice David's in a disposition where it's like, man, is there is there really hope can you overcome that? I mean, that's like really messing it up. And the Lord softens his heart. There's A tone of desperation here in Psalm 51, verses 8 through 13. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Then he says in verse 10, and we all know this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Do you see the posture here? He doesn't just say, Lord, erase from me the negative He says, Lord, restore to me the positive. In other words, the weight on my life right now that I can't stand is not the fact that I've screwed up so bad, but it's that my relationship with you is broken. And if you restore to me my relationship with you, then I will be reoriented towards what is right and the outflow of my life will begin to produce what is right. So he's saying, Lord, Lord, come come, bring me back into right orientation. Don't just erase the sin, but bring me into right relationship with you, God. And see, what happens is he exposes the fact that all sin falls out of broken relationship with God. And all sin is healed when relationship with God is restored. So that's David's disposition. The correct calibration of the Christian life happens when Jesus is our focus. And so what I want to come at here is not just practices we should have, but a person that we're pursuing who's pursuing us. And out of that comes a relationship and we begin to cultivate these things and enjoy these things such as going to the Word and seeing Jesus and praying and communing with Jesus. We can't run from sin by focusing on avoiding sin or making up for our sin. You know, sometimes we we try to do that. Right? Instead of a reorientation. I mean, how many of us are here? Maybe it's not like great sin, but you're in the negative on something where where you haven't, your your relationship with Jesus isn't just clicking on all cylinders. And so you you think of 2016, by the way, this is more of a New Year's sermon than a Christmas sermon. Um but you're thinking, man, I gotta get back on the right tracks. So I'm probably gonna eat right. By the way, my resolution is to do my resolutions, right? You know, like that's what I'm thinking. I was like, what should I do differently this year? <laughs> do my resolutions. So, you know, we, we think of like all these things we should be doing, right? We're like, man, if I could just get this resituated or I want to love my wife more or I want to love my kids more or I want to do all these things or I want to have a calendar this year, you know, I want to talk to Siri more. (laughs) I don't know how she knows some stuff. It's weird. But really there's something deeper, more than stuff to do there's a relationship to restore. We grow in right alignment with God when we say, Jesus, recapture my attention and my affection. There's a couple principles I want to lay out here that I see in this. The greatest sin and the soil for all other sins is a lack of focus on Jesus. David was in a predicament because he wasn't at war defending you know, the people of God. And that that was his mandate in that moment. You know, I also like to counter with Psalm 23, where he writes that the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In that moment, he's not calling him to go to war. He's calling him to feast in the middle of fighting. And so it's really responding in the moment to to the call that God has placed on you. And not doing that is just... You know, the soil for all sin. So knowing what God's calling you to and having more of Him. Principle number two, God does not call us to right our own wrongs. Come on. How many, how many of us, I mean, we've done some wrong stuff and immediately we're thinking, How can I make up for this? How can I gain traction? How can they view me as better? How can I rebuild my reputation? but we need to look to the one who can make us right and what we'll see is that when we look to Jesus and believe on Jesus god the father declares us righteous we don't make ourselves right before god we go to god and he makes us right and that just chips away at our pride so many times because we say no 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 i can't go to god you know i got to make myself self right with god Before I go to him, and it reveals that really what we want is just God to be like Santa Claus so he can give us stuff. So if I'm in the bad, then I can't go to him because I'm on his naughty list. God's like, no, I'm after a relationship. I know what you've done. I came to confront you, and I'm bringing you back into relationship. This is, you know, at a very subtle level, this could be tough for us to understand because of the times we live in, the area we live in. I work right by Tyson's Mall. Oh, my God. You know, it's like I got off work at 6 and I plan to leave at like 9.30, you know, just because I can't like leave the parking garage. People are consumed with themselves. People are consumed with their earning. People are consumed with what they can get for themselves. And Jesus says, you can't do anything for yourself. Have me. So the greatest wrong is that we do not look to Jesus. That's where sin begins, by not looking to him. The greatest grace is that Jesus does not wipe away the negative just wipe away the negative, but he invites us back into the positive, right? And so Jesus doesn't just come to us and say, yeah, man, I'll I'll take care of that. You know what? I'll just blot out your transgressions. Let me know if you need me. I'll be over here chilling. Man, he comes back to us. He wants relationship with us. Principle number three, God is relationship-oriented and pursues us in our sin. There's nothing you can do, right? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing we can do can separate us from the love of God because Christ did something, right? And he he saw our sin plainly, and he came to us knowing exactly who we were, and he chose to love us. He doesn't push David away, but he draws him back into relationship. This is huge. Principle number four, God liberates us from taking our liberties. Sometimes we think that, man, freedom is doing whatever you want, but is it really? Or does it subject us to bondage? Does it subject us to all the intentions out there that are laying before the things that we think we can have in our freedom? if that makes sense. Behind everything that seems like a freedom, there is a bondage. And what God calls us to is to be free from the freedom of the world and to have Jesus, the one who liberates. Because when we have the world, often we're not in right relationship with God. Freedom is not doing whatever you want. Freedom is the result of having Jesus and being freed from going our own way. That's when freedom happens. By the way, I don't, I don't even have a beard, and this thing's like making noise on my chin. It's crazy. I'm like, what's going to happen when I'm like, you know, a full-grown theologian, you know, and it's like just up here smoking a pipe, and uh, this thing's going to have some issues. Number Number five. And don't take this the wrong way. This is not a political statement. Go to war when God calls you to go to war. Now, here's the thing let's view it this way we don't war against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities of darkness against our own flesh. Make war on your selfishness and self-centeredness, and make war to focus on the joy that is found in Jesus. So when a prophet comes to you, (laughs) says, God knows what you've done. Repent. Say, Jesus, I'm not here to fight. I'm here to surrender. Surrender. Right? And I'm here to make war on the thing that's keeping me from you. I'm here to make war that I might gain Christ. And we gotta do that. We gotta step into that. We gotta step into a positive of, I'm not taking that. I love to just kinda hash out culture. Let's put this into context. I think in the American culture right now, There is a complacency, and I don't want to deal with reality because reality is painful, right? And it it seems like what's going to happen is going to happen, so why do anything? Let's go watch Netflix. Man, Netflix doesn't save you. Jesus is still in the game. Church, get in the game. Start making war on what's against Christ. Start making war on dispositions that don't agree with Jesus. Step into culture and start heralding the word of God in every context because he brings life. He restores things. He brings homeostasis. He brings shalom. Shalom is a peace that brings order. Jesus is the center. Now, here's the thing. We have hope of union with Christ. I want to get at this. This is still a sermon about word and prayer, but here's the thing. We read the word to discover Jesus, and we pray because we're in relationship with Jesus. And so I want to lay a foundation of what our relationship with Jesus is, so that when I say pray and read the word, there's wood and fuel, and you light a match. But if you light a match and there's like no wood and fuel, people will be like, okay. When we acknowledge the destruction of our righteousness, I mean, David was a good guy. It makes way for us to receive the gift of Christ's righteousness. If you want to go big picture, can you see redemption in the fall of Adam and Eve? Sin is a painful struggle. But the two options were inherit the righteousness of Adam or be broken and inherit the righteousness of Christ by faith. Jesus came into the world to give us a righteousness, a goodness that was better than our own. He came to give us himself. So in Romans 3 it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction. (laughs) There's no distinction. You got David... You got everybody else. You got me. You got you. Jesus looks at us. He says, sinners, you need the righteousness of Jesus. There's no comparison. All of our sin and all of our righteousness fails before Jesus. And it's on that ground. In verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Justified. By his grace, as a gift, he gives it to us through the redemption that is in Jesus, whom he put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. When we are thrilled with Jesus' righteousness, then our faith will be credited with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is the focal point of the Christian life. I felt like I had to take two pages to say that because we need that foundation. Jesus comes after us. And and, and the essence of the Christian life is to have joy in him. Church, may I say, cultivate your joy in Jesus. Discover Jesus this year that he's pursuing you god does not distinguish levels of sin when handing out grace in christ you need to know that today he's giving grace to me he's giving grace to you jesus says this and this is beautiful this really sets the precedent of our ground for seeing him luke 5:32 i have not come to call the righteous But sinners to repentance. And in that moment, there's a decision. Am I righteous or am I a sinner? Now, if you say I'm a sinner and you repent and turn and cling to Jesus, then you'll be declared righteous. But if you say I'm righteous, then you're distancing yourself from God and and show that you have no need for the righteousness that is greater than your own. Jesus did not just deliver us from sin, but he delivered us to himself. He got in the thick of it. He went down deep. That's what Christmas is all about, right? Took on flesh for the rescue mission, It's not a distant God. I think I have this somewhere else in my notes, but I'm going to point it out now. The God we serve, and this is important for prayer, but this is important for foundation. The God we serve is not distant, impersonal, karma, jinxy, or the force. The God we serve has authority over all things and is a person that is God that came in flesh to introduce himself to us and to rescue us and restore us. He is a personal God. The thing that keeps most people from Jesus is that they think they're not in a position where they need him. Church, we need him. We need him. This year, let's have a disposition of Jesus, I need you, a little definition of repentance, to turn from what is wrong and move towards what is right or to move towards Jesus. Jesus calls us to deny our self-proclaimed righteousness and have the righteousness that he gives us when we have him. It's all centered around having Jesus. All right, so... Why are these things important to talking about the word in prayer? Well, one, disciplines of grace are not fueled by discipline, but by grace. So when Jesus comes to you, I mean, come on. Everyone here has had a dad or someone in their life or some authority figure or a boss. And when they're drawing you graciously when they invite you into what they're doing, you want to do what they're doing. That's why Jesus can say, I only do what I see the Father doing. There's a relationship there, and it's fueling everything that Jesus does. But if there's a, do this, do this, do this, it brings condemnation, and in your heart you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Like, Like, there's not that relationship, there's not that built trust where I want to do what you're doing. And God gave us, God gave his people the law, right? He said, do this, do this, do this. And really, before that, it was he wanted relationship, but they were just so out there that he's like, okay, let me bring some clarification. Don't do stuff. Um, and they kept screwing up, right? Like, no one's righteous compared to the law. So he sent Jesus, and Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he brought us into relationship. That's grace. And the second reason why this is important to talking about the word in prayer is if you see and are convinced that Jesus wants to commune with you, then you will grow with a desire to commune with him. When you see that, oh man, I've been... (laughs) I drove home from work one day and I sang this the whole way home. I was like, He brought me to His banqueting table. His banner over me is love. Anyways, it's one of my childhood favorites. And it's true, it's true. He invites us into feast, He invites us into relationship. And in that moment of communing with God, you realize, I'm loved. It's not just a theology, it's an experience, it's a reality, I can't see it plainly now and there's things distracting me, there's things more clear here on earth. But as you press in to the truth of God in scripture, you start to see, man, he's inviting me in. And now I'm starting to feel this love that he has for me that's lavish. And it begins to break sin. And you start to feel a freedom. And you start to relate with people freely. I mean, it's just all connected. And it's beautiful. Going to the Word and prayer are a means of coming to Jesus, and these passages are the precedent for doing so. Going to the Word is a means by which we immerse ourselves in the love of God. I don't understand how people can say, I know the love of God, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and not have just this uh, desire to dig into the word and discover and cultivate and excavate the riches that are there. It's like searching for treasure, the richest kind of treasure. You give your life to discover it, and in the end, you're so blessed by it. So here's some reasons we don't come to the Word that grace will confront. First of all, um, it shows us that there's a disconnect in our hearts when we don't come to the Bible, when we don't value the Bible and going to the Word and discovering Jesus. There's a disconnect in our hearts with Jesus when we are not at the well of his Word, drinking him in. I mean, sometimes it's dry, you know, and you're like, man, but the Holy Spirit can bring life. So here's some reasons. We have joy in worldliness. Sometimes we have competing joys. If you've got addictions in your life, not even like trivial addictions, but just everything that's on Hulu I've seen, that's an addiction, <laughs> you know? Sorry, I can't hang out tonight, uh. Got to watch eight episodes of House of Cards. They're like, okay, have a nice life. When your joy is contending somewhere else, it's tough to have joy in Jesus. Joy comes from the thing that we cultivate. If you love shopping and you cultivate shopping, your joy will rise to the level that shopping provides. If you love baseball and you go to every baseball game, your joy will rise to the level that baseball provides. If you love going to movies and you go to every movie, your joy will rise to the level that movies provide. If you go to Jesus and cultivate in his word to discover Jesus and watch Jesus, your joy will infinitely rise for all eternity. Another reason, our hearts are hardened by our own sin. Another reason, we have yet to taste and see that he is good. Some of us just say, man, I haven't seen the goodness of Jesus that you're talking about. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and show us Jesus. The world is more, another reason is the world is more persuasive to us concerning rationalism and logical reasoning of all things, so... You know, the world is persuasive. I'm like, well, can you see him? It's like No, but that doesn't stop you from believing in all these crazy things, and I've got the Bible and it points to him. And if you start in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and he was in the beginning, and all things were made through him and by him, and in him is light, and the light shone in the darkness. Or if you go Colossians one in 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 him, all things hold together if you If you go anywhere, the Bible makes a case that Jesus is more reasonable and logical than the things of the world. you just got to go there you got to start a lot of the reason why we don't see the reason and logic of the Bible is because we haven't given our own minds to seeing the reason and logic of the bible, but it's it's there. So we go back again and say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And here's the thing. All these things I just brought up brought up crud in our lives, right? It's just like, man, yeah, I do have those subtle sins that slowly diminish the joy of my relationship with Jesus. And David's prayer just shows us, I see the confrontation of sin and I'm pressing through it. And i got to know this relationship with God. i got to know the life-giving relationship with God. I see my sin. I'm drowning in it. And I've got two two things I could do. I say, well, this is the path I've chosen. This is who I want to be. Love me for who I am. And then you drown and die. Or you say, help. I'm in need of a savior. And you go there. And so in this moment, sometimes it's subtle. It's not always plain. And we gotta say, help Jesus. I need you. Cultivate it. Cultivate it. Bring that joy. Bring that joy. Bring that peace. I wanna see you. We need an anchor. We need, we need an absolute. Something to orient ourselves around. I remember being at the beach and I was the whitest kid on the beach and it was the sunniest days. So my mom was like, every 10 minutes I gotta lather sunscreen on you. I'm like, Sorry, guys, I can't jump in the waves. i got to get sunscreen on. And then I used to joke, I was like, man, I'm going to invent SPF 100. And then they actually made that stuff. I was like, so I bought it. So then it was like every 25 minutes I had to lather sunscreen on. So at the beach chilling with all my buddies, and, you know, there's a big, like, undercurrent, right? And my mom would be like, hey, if you can't see me, you've gone too far. That wouldn't be a terrible thing, right? Like, there's a lot of fun stuff at the beach. <laughs> Could avoid sunscreen, at least. Eating shellfish for dinner. But when I got into the waves, and I'm playing and not paying attention, after about half an hour, I'd look up and realize, I'm like a fifth of a mile away from my mother. What's going on? The waves look the same. The ocean looks the same. I still feel sand under my feet, but there's this like constant pull where I'm like jumping in waves. And all of a sudden, you know, after like half an hour, I'm like over here. And I wouldn't notice I was moving. I wouldn't notice the current was bringing me unless I knew the words of my mom saying, hey, look back to me. And so one of the reasons why we come to the word is because in culture, there's subtle shifts away from absolute truth, away from reality, where we don't even realize it's moving under our feet and we're being carried away by it. And we only realize we're caught up in it when we remember the words of Jesus and look back at him because he's immovable. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. He's an anchor. And the only way to discover him and to see him clearly in a world that's got their own ideas and their own agendas coming out every two weeks is to go into the word and know the absolute truth. He's the anchor, and when we're focused on Jesus in a world that is constantly shifting and trying to carry us away from him, we can know that we're steady on him. The word of God is the place where we go to see Jesus clearly and to cultivate our relationship with him, and here's the thing. This isn't just about making our relationship right. We can change. Psalm 34, verse 5 says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. When you look to him, your countenance changes. Something about your life gets different. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. John 17, 17 says, and this is Jesus praying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy like Jesus. When we go to the word and see the truth subtly, Jesus changes us. Like in Narnia, I think it's Prince Caspian, right? Like Eustace goes and finds all this gold and becomes a dragon. Like, whoa. <laughs> Crazy imagination there, C.S. Lewis. Um, becomes a dragon. And then Aslan comes and confronts him and slowly tears the scales off. him. That's what sanctification is like. Just coming at our sins slowly to make us more like Jesus. These are my thoughts on the word. I want to jump into prayer and these will coincide with them. Here's some things coming into prayer that I want to lay out. The Jesus of the Bible shatters all notions of spirituality that are not centered on him. When I pray, and this is what I was saying earlier, when I pray, I'm not tapping into the force, right? Like, I got to come at that. It's relevant these days. There's there's not some random, like, system going on. There's Jesus, his rule, his reign, and authority. And so, you know, in the workplace, when I hear, like, karma jinxes, like, huh, knock on wood, Like I'm like, you guys are driving yourself nuts, and you're driving me nuts. Like, stop it. Like, bad crap happens all the time. I'm not going to go around like, oh, my God. You know, I can't live life that way. Stop it. Like, I got Jesus. <laughs> and he's stronger than all that stuff. So stop it. And in the church, man, don't let that stuff reside in your heart. Like, don't let every, any part of you kind of believe, oh, that has precedent on my life. Dude, it will overwhelm you, and it's not true, so kick it out. All right, just had to say that. Facebook was not the right place to rant about that, okay? And neither was this. When I pray, I'm coming before a personal, humble, all-authoritative, universal God. His name is Jesus, and here's the thing. When we come to Jesus, I I realized one day, I was like, you know, I'm coming to Jesus, Lord, I pray for this, I pray for that, I pray for this, I pray for that, and I had been reading in scripture, it's like so many people came to Jesus for his miracles, and they'd be like, don't tell anyone, and then they'd go tell anyone, everyone, and never come back to Jesus, like, wait, if you just come to Jesus for what he has to offer and never for Jesus, you're missing the point of prayer. We come to Jesus to get Jesus, and so the principle here is we don't just come to Jesus for his hand, but for his heart. When we come to Jesus for only what he has and what he can give, we let him stiff arm us, and a relationship never grows. But when we come to Jesus to say, I want to know your heart, man, stuff will start to happen. All right, so here's some... Theology of the Holy Spirit and prayer. I'm going to move through this, share some testimony. My time's running out. But this is exciting stuff. So when we come to prayer to have Jesus, we come by the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power, supernatural power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you So the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. You're gonna have power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I've heard so many people use this and they're like, so witness. I'm like, so you mean hand out tracts everywhere and that's what you think this verse means. Like, that's not what this means. This means when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll see Jesus. That's what witness means, right? In John 1, 1 through 7, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness. little clarification there about the light that all might believe through him. So witness means to see and observe. You get a witness on the stand because they saw something, not because they're a great orator. Hey, you're good at speaking, Chuck. Come be a witness in this uh, court of law. Like, yeah, I saw a uh, a fig tree. Sorry, this is my Brian Regan influence coming out right now. Um, and bear witness to say this is what I've seen. So Jesus is raising up witnesses and bearers of witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 1, 32-34, And John bore witness, saying, This is what I've seen. I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove, and it remained on him. So the Holy Spirit came on Jesus and remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, Jesus in Acts 1.8 says, The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to see me. And John's saying that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained. So I'm thinking, man, if the Holy Spirit's on Jesus and remaining and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me and I'm going to see Jesus, then what's happening is the Holy Spirit is plunging me into the revelation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's bringing me into union with Jesus. The Holy Spirit's giving me insight into the living God. That's where prayer begins, man. Say, Holy Spirit, come reveal Jesus. And then you move into that relationship that's so stoked by the word and you begin to pray stuff, radical stuff. So here's some prayers Jesus has answered in my life. I figured, man, prayer sometimes, you just gotta share that it works. And I'm not just like cashing in like, I pray, I do a good thing for you, Jesus, and Jesus, you answer what I want. That's not how this works. But you go to him, you pray with his will, So when I was like two years old, I was prophesied over that there would be financial provision for higher education. Cool, great prophecy, love that. Um, But my mother prayed that over me every day. Every day. And when I went to school, I ended up getting paid to go to school, college, because we got our FAFSA, uh, I was part of the first accredited graduating class, and um, basically, I was getting paid like $1,000 to go to school because I had eight siblings, four of which were in school, so FAFSA was like, we just want to give you lots of money. Um, I was like, okay. And you know, credit hours were like, like $120 a credit hour is awesome. It was like, man, but that, I, I could see, it's like, man, if my mom hadn't prayed that every day, would that have happened? I mean, like, the Lord's answering. So it's like, prayer is this belief that God's going to do stuff. If he said something, you're just praying it into existence and saying, Lord, come down kingdom, be done thine will. But that's a small one. Here's the thing. I, I have leg issues. I got lymphedema in my leg, all right? And, and so I don't have a lot of good circulation. I got swelling and... You know, people pray for me, I don't get healed, but that's okay. I got a theology of suffering that says in suffering I can get to know Jesus who suffered for me, maybe even a little bit better. But here's the thing. I said I resolved to pray with everyone, for everyone with a leg problem. So I said, Lord, anyone you send me that I see is walking with a cane, in a wheelchair, whatever, I'm going to pray for them because I believe you heal people. So I started praying for people, and uh, you know, three weeks in, I'm like, "Man, Lord, you're not healing anybody um, that I know of. I mean, I at least need to see and you know get some recognition, like at least know this stuff's working out." Okay, so, so I'm like, I'm gonna pray for people. So see this dude walking with a cane. I'm like, "Dude, I'm gonna pray for you." He's like, "Dude, you know, I was in the military. Doctor said I'll never walk." correctly again, I was like, well, I'm going to pray for you, and I prayed because the word informed me that Jesus always healed people out of compassion. I say, Jesus, have compassion on this person and heal them. A few weeks later, runs up to me without a cane. It's like, do you remember me? I was like, no. You prayed for me that I would be healed, and I'm completely healed now. Like, praise God. He does that stuff. So I was like, I'm going to start praying for everybody. Like, hey, man, you need a gold molar. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so here's the thing, you know. So I was like, I used to have a Walmart ministry um, where I'd like go into Walmart and the Lord would like speak to me and I'd pray for people. But I was really scared, like... I remember the Lord saying, hey, pray for people in Walmart. I'm like, in Fayetteville? <laughs> I think I need to buy a gun. Um, you know, like, it's just not going to happen, you know. And I go in there like at 10 o'clock at night, and there's like one cash register open, and there's like 80 people in line, and they're hangry, um, right? You know, so it's like not really working out. So I'm like, in Walmart, and I used to drive by Walmart. This happened. For a year, I was like, Lord, I don't have the faith to pray for people, but I don't want to be disobedient. I pray you'd give me the faith for people. And a year later, um, man, I, I just I was driving by Walmart, I had this vision of this woman walking around the corner with a with a cart. And the Lord said, I'm gonna restore her relationship with her two sons. I was like, Okay. So going to Walmart in the frozen section, sure enough, this lady comes around the corner, and I'm like, <laughs> Oh, man. You know, so like five minutes later, we reintersected on the, you know, uh, paper towel aisle. Cause I was like, oh, I don't think I could do that. You know, people at Walmart are like, man, that guy's high right now. And I'm like, look, just make me high in the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, so I'm like pacing back and forth at Walmart. Finally catch up to her on the paper towel aisle. I was like, man, uh, you know, God speaks and, uh, he's gonna restore your relationship with your two sons. She said, man, they just ran away from home. Well, let's pray for them. So she's crying there in Walmart and we're just praying together. And here's what it showed me. The Holy Spirit wants to do stuff in real time. To bring the power of the word into existence in people's lives. To appropriate it, to apply it, to bring it to bear where people's lives are hurting. That's the God we serve. And he's looking for people who are praying, who are pressing in to say, I want to be there. And sometimes in our prayer, it's, I don't have the strength to operate the way you want me to operate. My time is up. I got, I got just a couple more stories. Here's the thing. Um, all right, everyone doing good right now? Okay, cool. Just, just real quick. Um, so. Just two more. I'll try to make these quick. So in 2010, I was here for a summer, and I just knew the Lord was saying, hey, march on the mall with a white flag and declare a state of surrender. I was like, no, that's very stupid and very religious. No. And then Chris Tomlin's like, hey, I'm going to write a song about it. We raise our white flag, and we surrender. And I'm like, okay, that's ridiculous. So when I moved back here, I was like, that's an assignment. And here's the thing. It's like, how do you know if, like, God's speaking to you or laying something on your heart in prayer? It's if you feel like there's going to be greater consequences not doing it than doing it, you should do it. In other words, if you feel like, man, there's such a burden on my heart to do this, I'm going to feel guilty not doing it, do it. So, you know, Wednesday before Easter 2013, when I moved back here, marched around the mall with a white flag. Nothing happened. Like, what the heck? That night. The Lord was like, okay, Good Friday, go out on the National Mall, build a cross, walk around the mall with a cross. Like, that's very sacrilegious. He's like, be obedient. When God speaks to you, just be obedient, okay? So here's the thing. So I went out, Good Friday, you know, like everybody's on the National Mall, even people from the Czech Republic, I'm like, what are you doing here? Anyways, so walking around the National Mall and and like, you know, people are giving me weird looks, you know. I'm like, please don't pull out your gun right now. This is just a piece of wood. I'm representing Jesus, you know, like hey, just remember him. Um so three young guys walk up beside me and they're like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, Hey, uh two thousand years ago, Jesus walked with a cross for you, for your sin, because he loves you. Like, dude, you got to come tell our whole class this. So they brought me into the center of the National Mall and gathered around all their classmates. There's like 30 students. They're like, dude, listen to this guy. I'm like, wow. So I was like, started preaching the gospel. Like, hey, man, you need Jesus. They're like, yeah, we do. Oh, my God. Um, So I was like, they're like, so what do we do? I was like, well, let's pray. They're like, okay. I was like, so let's hold hands. And they all knelt and raised their hands. And together... They declared allegiance to Jesus. I was like, Lord Jesus. They were like, Lord Jesus. I was like, we surrender to your love. Anyways, that's just a testimony that God wants to do stuff. Finally, my friend Vic is here because I got to be honest. I had been in some situations. I'm just going to be real, speak from my heart for another three minutes. I'd been in some situations where people thought they were handling racism correctly and thought that they were seeing stuff biblically happen. But I was like, y'all, a bunch of white people, old white people with loafers. I'm like, there ain't no diversity going on right now. And I was like, okay, but I gotta pray that I would have unity with people. In the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Word, that God in the in the in the threads in the fabric of my life would give me friends that are different than me, and for three weeks I was burdened. I was like, God, I want to be in people's lives in a way, Lord, Lord, people that are different than me, but people that love you. And so I go into the store one Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday night. Meet Vic. We hit it up. We start talking for like twenty-five minutes praying. I'm like, dude, this dude's different than me, but he loves Jesus. Right? This dude's different than me, but he loves Jesus. And what was pressing on my heart was, man, in Jesus, we find unity. There's no disunity. It is the highest level. Around the throne of God, we're going to find people of all race, all, all, all sorts of different types of people. And I start talking to Vic and he's like, dude, come to my baptism. I'm getting baptized. And like next Sunday or something, go to his baptism. I'm, I'm like part of his family now. Anyways, we start chilling, hanging out. And one night, this happened a couple times. We're like in the car, you know, recline the seat back. And he goes on this like 45 minute rant about how like the gospel shatters, divides, how we need to love people how we need to get in proximity with people that are different than us, how we need to serve people, how we need to get into the mess and just say, I don't care if this is awkward or strange or culture doesn't know how to address it or churches don't know how to address it, but we need to be real people with real people, loving people different than us. And it was like the Holy Spirit was speaking back to me everything I had prayed. And I was like, I just want to honor Vic because he's my friend and we've we've been friends for like two and a half, three months now. Love hanging out with him and he's so different than me and I don't like Harold that, like I have a friend different than me but we're like united on a level where Jesus is our core, where Jesus is the center and to me, that was just an answer to prayer. So let me end with this. Church, let's be a praying Church, Josh, uh, if you want to come up, play guitar. Church, let's be a praying church. Let's be a church that prays the word of God. Let's be a church that asks that the kingdom makes a difference in our world in this lifetime. Let's be a church that begins to pray things into existence. Let's be a church that's so informed and in love with the word of God, seeing Jesus, that we're compelled to move in real ways. In Christ, we're united. And the more we cultivate our relationship with Christ, the more unity we're going to find. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going we're to sing a song and we're going to come up and take communion. And communion is a beautiful time to remember that the common thread we have is that we're all united by the blood of Jesus that he gave his life for us. That in him we're unified with the living God and with each other. And that he gave his life for us. And then we're gonna give. And Pastor Jeff already mentioned that this is end of your giving. It's on my heart to encourage you. There's a thousand places asking for you to give right now. I think the local church is the most important place because it's the place that Jesus has ordained that the kingdom of God will be advanced through. The kingdom is moving, and so if you feel led to give, there's a giving box in the back. Jesus, we honor you. Jesus, we're here for you. I pray that in 2016, God, we'd overcome the pain of our own sin, and we'd jump into, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That we would eat up the word and love it. And Lord, that as a church we'd pray together. Lord, that families would pray together. Dads would pray over their kids and over their wives, Lord. God, I pray that we would just come to you in prayer, Lord, and lay our hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen.